Commander Victor Shiloh noticed that the usual bridge chatter had died down to almost nothing as the squadron emerged from jump space. Everyone knew the stakes. One of their own was missing, and they were here to find her. FE-319, frigates didn't rate names, had not reported back to base, and it hadn't sent a message drone. This was very worrisome. If the ship had been able to return, it would have. If it had malfunctioned, or there was some other reason for a delayed return, such as a major discovery of some kind, it would have sent the drone back. The entire squadron, seven frigates under the command of squadron leader Torres, had been sent to investigate. FE-344, under Commander Shiloh, was designated as the rear guard, staying behind at the point where the squadron emerged, so that it could jump back into jump space with a warning for HQ if something nasty happened to the other six ships of the squadron. FE-344 decelerated to a crawl, relatively speaking, while it changed its orientation to enable it to jump away from this star system instead of closer to it. With that maneuver done, Shiloh relaxed just a little bit. They could now jump at a moment's notice if they had to. Now we wait, he said, loud enough for the rest of the bridge crew to hear him. He switched his command station's main viewer to show the long-range tactical display. He saw his ship at the center of the display as a green triangle, with six other green triangles slowly moving to the top of the screen spreading out as they did so towards the inner part of this star system. As he watched, the display showed clusters of smaller green dots moving away from the green triangles. The squadron had launched reconnaissance drones for long-range snooping. A star system was a big place for one small ship to hide in. By comparison, a needle in a haystack was trivial. Without the recon drones, it could take weeks to find the missing ship. Nothing of significance was occurring to engage Shiloh's attention, and he began to ponder how the nature of faster-than-light travel determined humanity's expansion into the rest of the galaxy. The rate at which ships traveled through jump space was determined by how fast they were moving when they entered jump space. The more velocity a ship had, the faster the transit through jump space. Although the relationship was logarithmic rather than linear. If you wanted to go twice as fast in jump space, you had to build a velocity that was ten times as fast in normal space. Entering and moving through jump space required energy that was generated by the fusion of heavy hydrogen. The contragravity engines that moved a ship through normal space also required lots of energy. So when a ship's limited supply of heavy hydrogen was low enough to be a factor in a planned transit between two star systems, the astrogator calculated the optimum combination of normal space acceleration, jump space duration, and normal space deceleration at the other end to minimize the total consumption of fuel. What irked Shiloh and most of the other exploration frigates' commanders was the fact that their ships hadn't been designed to be able to refuel themselves by skimming the atmospheres of gas giants, separating the tiny amounts of heavy hydrogen from the more abundant normal hydrogen. For some reason, which no one seemed to understand, the designers had traded the self-refueling capability for a larger fuel capacity— this meant that the frigates could operate for longer periods of time before having to rendezvous with tankers, but they still had a limited range of operation. 
That meant that exploration squadrons were tied to tankers, which themselves could only move forward if they were certain that the destination star system contained at least one gas giant, and not all star systems did. SFE-144 was operating at the limit of its internal fuel supply. Regardless of what they did or didn't find here, the squadron's frigates had just enough fuel to make it back to their assigned tanker. It was an hour later when things started to happen. By that time, the rest of the squadron was far enough away that there was an appreciable time lag in two-way communications. The other six ships kept in constant contact with 344 by tight-beam low-powered lasers, and 344 acted as a relay station, keeping each ship in the squadron in contact with the rest, albeit with an even bigger time lag. It was easier for them to stay in contact with one fixed location, 344, than it would have been with multiple moving locations. The relay ship kept track of the moving ships by the direction of the incoming laser beams and by the navigational data that each ship provided about its speed and course. Computers on board the relay ship aimed the return laser where the target ship would be by the time the laser beam arrived there. Theoretically, two ships could communicate from opposite sides of a star system, but the time lag of many hours made it not worth the effort. Shiloh became aware that his executive officer had arrived on the bridge to relieve him. You're relieved, Skipper, said Lieutenant Commander Angela Johansson. Shiloh nodded and swiveled his command chair around to face her. After getting up, he waited while she sat down and adjusted the command chair to better fit her body's smaller dimensions. A properly adjusted chair made a four-hour duty shift a lot more tolerable. As she did so, he couldn't help noticing, once again, that she had a very attractive figure. Not that he was actually tempted to do anything with that fact. While physical relationships between officers were not prohibited, they were discouraged on the theory that anything other than a professional relationship might result in biased performance reviews. When she was finished, he leaned over so that their conversation wouldn't distract the rest of the bridge crew, who were also in the process of being relieved.